we'd like to welcome you to our current event in weekly Bible study for December 7th, 2008. And today we're going to be continuing our study on the Antichrist. And uh, I know this started out in regard to Obama, and it's kind of segued into just a study on the Antichrist in general. Today we're going to be transitioning into looking at the the tribe of Dan and how that relates to this particular subject. I'm going to be quoting from several different articles that have been put out regarding this, and they all kind of mesh and tie together nicely. The first one is entitled, The Early Jewish and Christian View of the Identity of the Antichrist. And uh, this is a, just a neat study that we're going to be doing here. So starting out, it says, To suggest that the Antichrist will be from one of the tribes of Israel is likely to incur accusations of anti-Semitism from those who would like to conceal this fact. However, uh, we believe, uh, in the study they believe, that the biblical admonition to bless the descendants of Abraham also includes exposing the identity of the man of sin who will lead many Jews to their destruction. The Merovingians, who plan to rule the world from their future throne at Jerusalem, claim to come from the tribe of Judah. Now, we're going to talk a little more on this later. Through Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene. And again, that's the only way they could really tie themselves truly to Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, is is in regard to through Mary Magdalene's lineage. And we got into that, I think it was like in the second part of that, where we did the, the actual uh, bloodline lineage of Jesus Christ. So if you want to know more about that, you can reference the parts uh, one and two of the study. And then it goes on to say, however, the weight of evidence indicates that they descended from the tribe of Dan. So uh, the Merovingians are claiming part lineage, part lineage through the tribe of Judah. I believe also part lineage through the tribe of Dan, and that's probably the primary, the, the primary lineage that we're going to be looking at today. And if there was a lineage where there's where we can actually uh, have a lot of proof that that was the case, there there seems to be quite a bit of proof in that, and you'll we'll look at that more later. Going further, it said it is through the agency of the ultra orthodox Lubavitch movement that the Gentiles are being prepared to submit to the Noahide laws under a restored Sanhedrin. Now, there's a lot of controversy over that, um, and I, th I think that the information that I've seen presents a pretty strong case toward that, but for the purposes of this study, we're really not going to get into that, what I just mentioned today, in regard to the Noahide laws. Yer Davidi says that the name of Dan means judge in Hebrew. Descendants of Dan today appear to be concentrated in Ireland, Britain, the United States, and especially Denmark. Merovingians are also found leading pseudo-Christian organizations, as many profiles in the Council for the National Policy of Discernment Ministries reveal. These Merovingian agents actively promote the Hebrew roots and the Messianic movement as for the catalyst for Judaizing Christians. Now let me read that last statement again, because I, that is so important. These Merovingian agents actively promote the Hebrew Roots Messianic Movement, Christian Zionist Movement, as the catalyst for Judaizing Christians. Now, I'm going to be doing, I've done several teachings where we've mentioned this in the past. I know I've done one on the Sabbath versus Sunday, and on Christian Zionism, and looking at John Hagee and these types of things. But I'm going to be doing more of an in-depth study, Lord willing, in the near future, because... 
this is a very important subject to look at. Uh, the Hebrew Roots Messianic Movement is actively trying to bring Bible-believing Christians back into believing that essentially we need to keep, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to keep the law, we need to do all of these things in order to essentially in order to essentially have our salvation um, I'm trying I'm trying to find a way to kind of put this properly um, because they'll say no we're not trying to earn our way to heaven but the problem I see is if that's not the case why does it come back to being so works based and there's so many scriptural verses you could get into particularly in the New Testament that debunk that notion the Bible says, for whosoever shall keep up the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. James 2.10. So if you, at this point, at this stage, we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, according to Ephesians 2.8 and 9. Okay? So if we're trying to to say that, okay, we're saved by grace through faith, that not of and then at the same time saying, well, yeah, but then again, we got to do this and we got to do that in order to merit salvation. That's salvation plus works. That doesn't work in God's eyes. That's an abomination in God's eyes. Christ is a better covenant, okay? And we're going to be getting into that in, in the overwhelming amount of scriptural verses. And that's probably going to alienate me from a lot of people, but... Again, my life is not a popularity contest, and our lives as Christians shouldn't be a popularity contest. Uh, but I just thought it was telling that this quote right up front here in this article about the tribe of Dan, where they're saying these Merovingian agents have, have basically infiltrated much of pseudo-Christianity, particularly through the Hebrew Roots movement. I also believe particularly through the Pentecostal movement and the Messianic uh, Christian Zionistic movement as the catalyst for Judaizing Christians. Okay, because that's what they're seeking to do. They're seeking to bring us back into bondage to observe days and times and years. And as Paul said, I am afraid of you lest I bestowed upon you my labor in vain. In other words, he labored to get them out of that system, to get them out of that mindset where they have, where it was this works-based law-keeping mindset because Jesus, Jesus Christ is a better covenant. He, he, he labored to do that, but they didn't want to do that. They wanted to go back into the days and the times and the years and these types of things and observe all these things. And particularly as a Gentile, we were never called to that in the first place. Okay? So, I'm going to get... Way more in depth on that in in um, some subsequent teachings, uh, because I, I just think that that's one of the most I have I have more trouble from people in this movement in the Hebrew roots the Messianic Jew I have more trouble from them than than any other sect of Christianity. Probably the second would be uh, the really rabid charismatic type Christians. More trouble from them than any others. Okay, so it's it's kind of a near and dear subject to me. So if we go further, it says the following paper is meant to serve as a study guide for understanding the enigmatic design of Satan to use the apostate tribe of Dan as an instrument of as an instrument and cover for the false Messiah. The reader will be able to review the many scriptures 
which concern the tribe of Dan, the prophecies, the Danite people, their land, their history, their idolatry, symbols in conjunction with relevant information from other sources. Okay, now, again, don't think up front that I'm preaching against, that I, all of a sudden now I'm mad at the Jews and I'm being anti-Semitic. This has nothing to do with that. This has nothing to do with that at all. We're going to prove to you, if you go to Revelation 7, and I'm, I'm going to just touch on this now, and we'll go into it more in depth later, but if you go to Revelation 7, notice the tribe of Dan is not in Revelation 7. Not there. Well, what happened to them? Well, because of their apostasy and their idolatry, which we're going to be looking at in depth, the Lord removed them from the 12 tribes that are actually going to be sealed. Well, who did he put in its place? Manassas, the half-tribe Manassas. Who was Manassas? He was one of Joseph's son. I mean, they, they named the, the tribe after him. Ephraim, Ephraim, and Manassas. And we're going to be looking at that more later, but just wanted to kind of whet your appetite with that. So the purpose of this report will be to consider the six major areas concerning the tribe and territory of Dan in order to see if there is any merit at this point in history, to following the tradition as it was expressed by the early church fathers and the Jewish encyclopedia. Uh, this is a quote from Irenaeus, or Irenaeus Hippolytus, and other church fathers have a tradition which cannot be built, which cannot be but of Jewish origin, that the Antichrist comes from the tribe of Dan, and they base it upon Jeremiah 8.16. Okay, now, um, actually, I think we're going to go there just to look at this a little bit more in depth here. So, uh, Jeremiah 8.16. Okay, so there we will read, um, The snorting of, the, of his horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his, of his strong ones, for they are come and have devoured the land, and all that is in it, the city and those that dwell therein. For behold, I, I will send serpents and cockatrices among you, which will, which will not be charmed, and they shall bite you, saith the Lord. Now, we're going to be looking at that verse a lot more in depth, okay? But I'm just going to kind of segue um, off that, okay? For now, and then we're going to kind of come back into that. But again, this is one of the verses that they'll use to try to to uh, try to justify that Dan has something to do with the coming Antichrist. Now, this is not the only verse we're going to be looking at. Okay, there's a lot of other things that we're going to be looking at tying into this. Uh, like the Bible says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. And we're going to see how many witnesses uh, that we can put together today here in regard to this. This article goes on to state, Irenaeus remarks that Dan is in view of this tradition, among not among the 144,000 saved of the 12 tribes of Revelation 7. All you got to do is read that and just understand Dan's not in there anymore. They put Manassas in his place. Okay. Nor is the omission of Dan in 1 Chronicle 2-8 through 8 unintentional. Now, 1 Chronicle 2-8, through 8, uh, where we're talking a lot about the different tribes, and I'm just going to go there real quick. Okay, so if you were to go to 1 Chronicles 2 through 8, you'll notice that at the start of chapter 2, the sons of Jacob, okay, this is where we get the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? These are the sons of Israel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, 
Gad and Asher, and we we go through and it, two through eight. It basically gives you kind of like the whole uh, lineage of all of, of of all of these people that were mentioned, and, and even it goes further into. Uh, but you'll notice that the that Dan is not mentioned in all of First Chronicles two through eight. It's not mentioned. It's kind of weird. It's left out of Revelation seven totally as a tribe. They do mention it at the start of First Chronicles two, but then they don't, they don't even give it. Dan's lineage within those very things, yet they do it for all the other sons of Jacob. So you, there's some something going on here, uh, biblically, okay? And they're saying it's not unintentional. Uh, this article goes on to say that Dan became a very type of evil doing, and we're going to be looking at that um, a little bit later here. And again, as we said, the tribe of Manassas is actually what substituted for Dan in Revelation 7, 4 through 8. Regarding the 144,000 Hebrew male virgins that were sealed during the tribulation. Now, this is another thing that, that I've just, I, I, particularly lately and before, I've been getting a lot of, uh, I, I guess getting in a lot of controversies over. I don't really view this as a very controversial uh, portion of scripture because it's so clear cut. So, just for the sake of addressing this subject, We'll go to Revelation 7, okay, uh, verse 4, Revelation 7, verse 4. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Okay, so we're talking about, okay, actually let's go to verse 3 here. Verse 3 says, says, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God, where? In their foreheads. Okay, this is Revelation 7. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And then it gives the tribes one by one. Do you know how many people are trying to spiritualize this portion of scripture and saying, oh, well, this doesn't matter anymore. This is just a spiritual m- metaphor. Or um, actually, you know, the Jews have been totally done away with and that God's done with them. And that actually these tribes apply to, let's say, British Israelism, where they believe that it's like the um, people from England or whatever. Or I saw this guy the other day on the internet, this... Uh, black preacher, and he was saying that they were of the black races. And he actually, up on his site, up on YouTube, he's actually got, like, you know, the tribe listed and then where they're from. Like, Gad, and then it's like Puerto Rico. And, um, you know, Napoli, uh, Dominican Republic. I'm, I'm literally, I'm not lying. This is exactly what people are believing. They are so wanting to be part of... Now, Jehovah Witnesses do the same thing. You know, with 144,000. Of course, that's all been filled up, so you know you can't get on that gravy train. It's 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 ridiculous how many people want to say that they're part of this hundred forty four thousand, and no matter how bad you want that to be the case, and no matter how bad you want to spiritualize it, the Bible's very clear that this is. And they would say, well, it can't be because the the, the Jewish races are all. Um, uh, Nobody knows who they are anymore. And, and this and then and that. You know what? You know who does know? God. If he can number the hair on our heads, are you telling me he can't keep track of 12,000 Jewish male virgins 
from each tribe? Please, I mean, come on. There's, there's no. So it gives the tribes one by one here: Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, and then it goes to the tribe of Manasseh, which replaces the tribe of Dan. Notice Dan's not in here anywhere. Okay. I, you know, I'm sorry, but I, I don't believe this is this is a metaphorical type of thing. This is very specific. The emphasis will go back to the Jewish race when the tribulation begins. Blindness in part has happened to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. Are we supposed to boast against the, the, the natural branches, which are the Jews, according to the book of Romans? Are we supposed to boast against them? Because we are, we are like, as Gentiles, we are like, wild, like a wild olive leaf, or a wild olive tree grafted in to the true branch. But we're not supposed to boast against the natural branches. He came to his own, and his own received him not. That's what Jesus said about his own people. His own people were the Israelites, the Jewish nation, but his own received him not. Unfortunately, they said, crucify Jesus, let his blood be upon us and our children, give us Barabbas. They brought a curse upon themselves, which has pretty much lasted, you know, all the way up until now. I mean, look what happened to them during the Holocaust and these types of things, and how they've been dispersed, and now they're back in their land, and that's all a miraculous thing, okay? But again, what... In, when approaching this subject, I believe it's important to have biblical balance, not to just say, well, the Jews can do no wrong, and they're just perfect. They were brought back in unbelief. Totally unbelief. And they're still in unbelief. And we had went over the verses before in Zechariah, where two-thirds of them are going to be wiped out. And a one-third remnant is going to be left. And finally, basically near the end of the tribulation, they're going to get their eyes open, and they're going to look upon whom they've pierced, and they're going to mourn for him, as when one mourns for a lost, or, or when, as one would mourn for their own son. But their eyes have not been opened yet. One of the main ways their eyes are going to be opened are the 144,000. Now, where do I get this Jewish male virgin thing? Okay, let's go to Revelation 14. Revelation 14. And I looked in the unlow, verse 1, a lamb stood on Mount Sion. Now, we're going to be getting into that, too, the difference between Sion and Zion and the New and the Old Testaments. I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail quite yet, but that's very interesting as well. I looked, and lo, a lamb stood upon Mount Sion. Now, in this regard, it's Jerusalem, okay? And with 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. Huh, I wonder if this is the same 144,000 we just talked about in Revelation 7. It did say there was 144,000 of them, and it did say that they were sealed in their foreheads. Huh. Is that coincidental? It's the only time in the Bible that number's mentioned? Did you know that? I did a keyword search. It's the only time it's mentioned. Okay, so again, how could that apply to something different here? So, um, then the, the, then we have the exact reference of it being in their foreheads, both in Revelation 7, both in Revelation 14. So, this is, um, they only use the, the number 144,000 three times in the Bible, and guess where it's used? In Revelation 7, 4, Revelation 14, 1, and 14, 3, which is the exact verses we're talking about here. So again, let's compare scripture to scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept, to get our answers. Okay, it's pretty obvious. It's, this isn't something that I really believe is really super tough to figure out. 
But if you're wanting it to fit into your whatever little religious dogma that you're wanting to believe in, and if it doesn't quite fit, they're going to start, so, well, this is just, you know, some metaphor, whatever. Uh, it's, it's literal, okay? This is, this is black and white stuff we're talking about here. So, and then it goes on, uh, goes to verse 4, and it says, These are they, speaking of the 144,000, which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Well, what does that tell you? Well, it says there got to be Jewish male virgins. I mean, we already got the 12 tribes, okay? So we know that it's of the 12 tribes, minus Dan, plus Manassas, okay? So we got that down. We know if they're not defiled with women, they're virgins. And this doesn't mean that, like, women are bad or something, okay? It's just in this context, this was their life, okay? Just like Jesus Christ, okay? Jesus Christ wasn't married either, okay? And, again, it says, These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. Well, who is the Lamb? Jesus Christ. Well, these are they that have a very, very special niche calling, and they are following Jesus Christ wheresoever he goeth, and as a result, they're, they, they're not yoked up with any woman at all. They're totally devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and his work that he has called specifically for them. Okay, so, uh, they were, and then it says, these were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God, unto the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Okay, so I think it's pretty obvious we're dealing with 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe, Jewish, Israelite, male virgins. Okay, but again, there's all this controversy over this. Oh no, it's it's not that at all. Okay, well, uh, you've got to ignore a lot of scripture in order to justify that position, but that's your prerogative. I mean, if you want to do that, it's just dangerous. So if we go further, um, this is another quote. It says, And Jeremiah does not merely point out his Antichrist's sudden coming, but he even indicates the tribe from which he shall come from when he says, We shall hear the voice of his swift horses from Dan. The whole earth shall be moved by the voice of the name of his galloping ones. He shall, be, he shall also come and devour the earth and the fullness thereof and the city thereof and they that dwell therein. This too is the reason that this tribe is not reckoned along those which were saved. This was from Irenaeus and his work against heresies. Okay, so the, again, that's just one other witness there. So, regarding the Antichrist, most likely he's going to appear as a Jew, okay, uh, an Israelite, uh, where the Bible talks about in Daniel eleven thirty-seven. it says, Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. Now, I think... Probably a stronger witness than that is where it talks about how the Messiah is going to come from the throne of David. Okay, In order for the Jews to accept the Antichrist as their Messiah, he's going to have, whether the lineage is bogus, I mean, the Antichrist is going to be a deceiver, it's the bottom line, is what I'm trying to say here. Okay, And he's going to come and he's going to probably have what seems to be a foolproof lineage back to David. Probably through Solomon, I believe it's going to be through Solomon. Um, he also might be able to prove his lineage in through the tribe of Dan. And we're going to be looking at that as well. Because if he could prove it through Solomon to David, that's the tribe of Judah. And if he could prove it through, uh, prove it into Dan, that's this other side that we're going to be looking at. 
Okay, so remember, but remember above all, he's going to be a deceiver. He is going to be of his father the devil, and of his works he was he will do. And his father was a liar and the father of lies. So please understand that as well. There's gonna be a lot of deception going on too. Um this is from Jeremiah eight, fifteen through seventeen, and it says, We look for peace, but no but no good came for the time of health, and behold, trouble, the snorting of the horses was heard from Dan. We we read this one, and then it says, it says, For behold, I will send serpents and cockatrices among you, which will not be charmed, and they shall bite you, saith the Lord. Uh, so, in reference to Dan, you see this the next verse, with these horses coming from Dan, and the whole land trembling, and then... And then the land being devoured and all that is in it, the city and they that dwell therein. And then it says, Behold, I will send serpents and cockatrices, which is a viper, okay, among you, and they will not be charmed and they shall bite you, saith the Lord. The next part, and we're and again, we're going to be breaking this more down, but it says, Please note that the context of Isaiah 14 is Lucifer's fall to earth in the end time. Rejoice not thou, whole Palestinia, because the rod of him that smote thee is broken. And this is Isaiah 14, 29 and 31. Rejoice not thou, whole Palestinia, because the rod of him that smote thee is broken. Okay, so, for out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice, or a serpent or a viper, that's what that means, and his fruit shall be a fiery flying serpent. And then go to verse 31. Howl, O gate, cry, O city, Thou whole Palestinia, and dissolved, for there shall come from the north a smoke, and none shall be alone in his appointed times. Okay, so again, uh, when we talk about Palestinia or Palestine, which is the whole land of Israel, given to the Israelites by God. Okay, that's like the whole encompassing land here. And it's saying uh, that out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice or a serpent or a viper, and his fruit shall be a... Fiery flying serpent, and then it says again, Palestinia and dissolved, there shall come from the north a smoke, and none shall be alone in his appointed time. So this seems to be some type of judgment, something that's going to come out of the serpent's root, that's going to come, it's going to bring forth a serpent or a viper. And again, in the verse that we just talked about above from Jeremiah 8, um, 15 through 17, it's talking about the, the snorting horses from Dan, everything's going to be devoured. And then he says again, I will send serpents and cockatrices. Okay, so again, there's a lot of connection here, it seems like, with serpents, vipers, and the tribe of Dan. Okay, so I'm getting at a point here. I haven't really fully got into it yet here. So now if we go to Numbers 2.25. Numbers 2.25. We're going to try to give you several verses to kind of confirm what we're talking about here today. Okay, so, Numbers 2.25. The standard of the camp of Dan shall be on the north side by their armies. Now, this was essentially what we're talking about here, is the order or the arrangement of the camp around the tabernacle that was built in the wilderness. Okay? Um, This is when Moses brought the... uh, um, Israelites, you know, he brought them into the desert at this point via God, and then this was before they had went into the promised land. But the standard of the camp of Dan 
shall be on the north side by their army. So there's one reference to there to relating to how Dan is associated with the north. Okay, that's kind of interesting. Uh, now also understand also the area that Dan went and occupied in the promised land was the farthest point north. And we're going to be talking a lot about that, about Mount Hermon and these types of things. So Dan seems to be, the tribe of Dan seems to be associated with the north. Okay? And again, we, we see here um, in uh, the verse that we just read in Isaiah 14, 29 and 31, For there shall come from the north a smoke, and none shall be alone as appointed times. And right before that, I was talking about this thing that's, that's going to come against Palestine, and out of the serpent's root, and it's going to be associated with a serpent and a viper. Okay? So, again, you start to kind of get the picture here. Now, let's go to Jeremiah 1, 11. Jeremiah 1, 11. This is a fascinating study. Looking at, looked at in totality, it's a fascinating study. So, if you've already, are totally frustrated with what I'm talking about and threw up your arms or whatever, well, then, you know, it's not going to do you a whole lot of good. You have to listen to the whole study. He that answereth the matter, before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame on him. Proverbs 18, 13. So we want to look at the whole thing here. So, we go to um, Jeremiah 1, 11 through 16. And that says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. And then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will... Hasten my word to perform it. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, What seest thou? And I said, I see a seething pot. And the face thereof is toward the north. Okay, now I said those three verses just to get to that one part, because I want you to understand this is coming from the Lord. Okay, so he's, he's giving Jeremiah this vision. Verse 14, And then the Lord said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. Okay, well, Jeremiah was, was a Jew, and he's addressing, you know, a Jewish-Israeli type of situation here. Okay, so, the Lord said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. And uh, then it says, For the, lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come, and they shall set every one his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem. We're dealing with Israel here. And against all the walls that are of round about and against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness, who have forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. Now, what God's saying here, and what we're getting here, is some scriptural confirmation that um, God, when he judges Israel, there is a lot of scriptural connection of nations from the north being used by God in order to judge Israel. Okay, that's what we're, we're looking here. And we're looking at the connection between that and also the tribe of Dan. How Dan seems to be associated with the north. That's where Dan settled. They settled in the north, northern part of Israel, of Palestine, in the Mount Hermon area. Okay, and so again, there's just that connection there that's, that's very interesting. Now let's go to Jeremiah 10, verse 19. Jeremiah 10, verse 19, and then this one says, Woe is me for my hurt, my wound is grievous, but I said, Truly this is a grief, and I must bear it. Now this is, this is what the Lord's saying, because if we go to the previous verse, it says, For thus saith the Lord. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking this. 
Okay, so he says, Woe is me for my hurt, my wound is grievous, but I said, truly this is grief that I must bear. See, people don't understand that when we do things, when we sin, we're actually hurting the Lord Jesus Christ. We're actually, I mean, my wound is grievous. It's like we wound him. I, I, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not going to get super dogmatic, but obviously, when we sin, it grieves him and hurts the Lord. Okay, And a lot of times people don't think about that. They just think about, you know, myself or, or, or how my sin's affecting me. But we don't understand how we're affecting the Lord. Okay, so again, that's just something to think about. And then it goes on in verse 20. My tabernacle is spoiled, and all my cords are broken. My children are gone forth of me, and they are not. There is none to stretch forth my tent anymore to set up my curtains. For the pastors are become brutish, and have not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered. Okay, so again, this is this is sounds like today. My my pastors are brutish. What does that mean? Brutish in that context. Uh, if you go to a Webster's eighteen twenty eight, that means stupid as a beast. And honestly, I'm not saying every pastor, okay, but I'm saying the majority, particularly in America, bound up in their five hundred one c three corporations created by our government, under the government, and not under God, because you can't have two heads. You got to choose whom this day you're going to serve reading the wrong Bible, some other perversion that they're, that they're reading, like the NIV, that has 64,098 less words than a KJV, written by, essentially, you know, coming from the revised version of 1881, written by two occultists, Westcott and Hort, who derived that from two corrupt Catholic manuscripts, the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus, which essentially came from Alexandria, Egypt. And then they got all the worldly programs in the church, and there's all this leaven in the church. Well, they're stupid as beasts. I mean, it's hard for me not to agree with that because you look at what's going on in the typical church and it's like, wow, I mean, why can't they see this? Well, it's like their eyes are blind that they do not see. So the pastors have become brutish and have not sought the Lord. Well, the primary way you seek, you can, you could seek the Lord in prayer, but you also seek the Lord through His Word. And, um, they've not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered. That's what's coming. Behold the noise of the brewy. Now a brewy, in this regard, if you define that, is it is a, the sound of like a rumor or a noise. Okay. The noise of the brewy is come, and a great commotion out of the north country. To make the city of Judah desolate, and the den of dragons. Okay, so again, that's just another another verse there that ties in north and judgment. Okay, now we've already seen Dan was positioned in the north. Not only in the camp, when they were in the wilderness, he was in the he was in the north part of the camp. He was also he also went to the north part of Israel when they settled into the promised land. Okay, afterwards. So again, we're gonna this is gonna go even deeper, but this is just interesting parallels here. Uh, and then Romans eleven twenty six, and so all Israel shall be saved as as it is written. There shall come out of uh, Sion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now, in that regard, Sion is in reference to Zion, which is Jerusalem in the New Testament. 
Okay, and I'm going to get into the difference between Scion and Zion in a little bit. I, I want to kind of save that part um, right now. Oh, and also, I forgot to mention these verses. This is interesting. Je- uh, Genesis 41.51 And Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manassas. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And then Genesis 46.20 says, And Joseph, in the land of Egypt, and unto Joseph, in the land of Egypt, were born Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay? So these were two tribes. But they were considered half-tribes. Okay? Because they weren't uh, actually from Jacob. These were actually Joseph's sons. Okay? So, again, when we see Manasseh substituted for the tribe of Dan, that's where Manasseh came from. Just so you know, for your own edification. Now, if we go further, Genesis 48, 14... And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger. Okay, Israel being Jacob. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger. And his left hand was upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Okay, so again, this was the firstborn of Joseph. Joseph was the greatest one of the greatest instruments used by God ever to preserve the Jewish race, if you think about it. I mean, you know, what happened there and how he was sold into slavery and yet he still didn't quit on God. So that was just an amazing thing. Genesis, um, but probably one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible is, is the story of Joseph. So, Genesis forty-eight seventeen, and when Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, who was actually not the firstborn, okay, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head under Manasseh's head. Uh, and then Genesis 48.20, And he blessed them that day, saying, In all these shall Israel bless, saying, God make these Ephraim and Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Okay. Fact remains is that Manasseh actually um, was, the, was the substitute in Revelation 7 for the tribe of Dan. So, uh, God did bless, particularly Manasseh, in that regard. So, again, I just want to kind of give you the full, the full picture here of what we're talking about. And if we go further, it says, And Rachel said, God hath judged me, and hath heard my voice, and hath given me a son. Therefore called she he his name Dan. Why? Because Dan means judge. Okay? And we're going to be looking at that more. And Jacob called on his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Now, this is very important. This is when um, Jacob, or otherwise known as Israel, he called unto his sons. And he said, and this is right before he died, okay? He says, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Hmm. In his in the last days, yeah, in the last days, which is basically, you know, where we're at now, the end of times. Okay. If we go to Gen, and this is Genesis forty nine, that was verse one, and then sixteen through eighteen, and then we're we're skipping ahead. He goes through all the different, all his different sons, which which turn into different tribes. Okay. He says unto Dan, says Dan shall judge his people. That's what his name means, judge. Huh. As one of the tribes of Israel, Dan shall be a serpent by the way. 
an adder in the path. An adder, a serpent, a snake that biteth the horses, that biteth the horse heels so that the rider shall fall backward. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. And that's how it ends. Wow, that's really weird because we were just reading up here uh, in uh, Jeremiah 8, 15 through 17. I heard the sorting horses from Dan and the whole land trembled at its strong ones and they were going to devour the land. And it says, I will send serpents and cockatrices, which are vipers, and which will not be charmed and they, sh- and they shall bite you. What did he say to Dan? He says, Dan shall be a serpent by the way and adder by the path that biteth the horse heels. Hmm. Wow. Coincidence? <laughs> I don't think so. And then, we're talking about in, in the next verse, uh, in Isaiah 14, 29 and 31, for out of the serpent's roots shall come forth a cockatrice or a serpent or a viper. And this is, this, is re- this is addressing the whole land of Palestine or Israel. And then it talks about a fiery flying serpent. Okay, again, we see this parallel. And then it says, the whole Palestinian is dissolved, for there shall come from the north a smoke. Well, when you see smoke from the north, you're thinking an army's coming toward you. You know what I mean? Because they're, they're, they've got their fires going. So again, and again, we see all this parallel between Dan in the north, Dan in, in, as a serpent that's going to bite Dan as a tribe that's going to judge Israel. I'm not saying they're going to judge Israel because they're right with God. But, and then also Dan being excluded from the 12 tribes, it, even in 1 Chronicles 2-8 through 8, in their lineage, it, it, it lists him as one of the sons of Jacob, but it doesn't even bother to give his lineage, and yet it does for every other son? That's kind of a weird thing. And then in Revelation 7, where he's not even listed, and one of the 12 tribes that are sealed, and Manassas is put in his place? Are you getting what I'm talking about here? At this point, I mean, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. This is a pretty interesting stuff here. So let's go. This was an extremely hard study for me to put together because there was so much tying together of different verses to, to uh, because I did a lot more than just the um, what was presented to me in, in in these articles, I had to really, really dig deep. I pretty much have to do that with all the studies, but just, just very interesting stuff. If we go to Jeremiah 4.14, it says, O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness, that thou mayest be saved. Now again, we're talking about Jerusalem. There also seems to be this connection between Israel and Jerusalem in regard to this subject that we're talking about. With judgment coming from the north. With the tribe of Dan, who's going to judge. And then the serpent and viper thing associated with him. And that, that, that Dan is going to be used in that regard to bite. Okay, so, O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness, that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts lodge within thee? For a voice declareth from Dan. Huh, here we go again. And publish affliction from Mount Ephraim. Make ye mention to the nations, behold, publish against Jerusalem that watchers come from a far country and give out their voice against the cities of Judah. And again, here we are again with Jerusalem being judged and Israel being judged. And now this voice declaring from Dan that's going to publish affliction from Mount Ephraim. Isn't that weird? 
Well, I mean, if Dan was part of, of, of this whole scenario, if he was one of the tribes, then why would he be in the, the very instrument that the Lord seems to be using in order to actually judge Israel? Okay, but that's what his name means. Interesting points. So make you mention to the nations, behold, published against Jerusalem, and again, this is Jeremiah 4.16, that watchers come from a far country and give out their voice against the cities of Judah. Watchers, what is that? Watchers in the Old Testament, under this context, are good angels that I believe are assigned to essentially watch us. And many times, guard us and protect us and watch over us. You've heard of guardian angels and things of this. Um, Watchers are always used in that context. They're always used in a good context. Now, the watchers are most likely the same angels that ended up falling in Genesis 6, and possibly, well, not possibly before that, but Genesis 6, where the sons of God saw the daughters of men, Well, hold on. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. What were they doing? They were watching them. Okay, And I don't mean watch them in like this creepy way. I'm talking about good angels, like right now, wherever we're at as Christians, most likely we have hopefully good angels watching over us. Okay, There may be a battle going on right right now around us against good and evil. Okay, But these were good angels. And I'm going to prove that more because we're going to look at all the context upon which the watchers were used. Now, when a watcher falls, he's not a good angel anymore. Okay? But, again, this is, this is how I believe these angels became tempted. Because they were here watching the affairs of men. Okay? If they were up in heaven somewhere and never saw men, how would they ever get tempted? Just something to think about. Jeremiah 4.17 As the keepers of the field, are they against her roundabout, because she hath been rebellious against me, saith the Lord. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it says, the watchers come from a far country and give out their voice against the city of Judah. What does that mean? That means that they're going, they're looking at the cities of Judah, they're, they're going to Jerusalem, and these good angels are coming from a far country, and they're giving out their voice against the cities of Judah. They're reporting back to the Lord, and they're essentially giving out their voice against them. They're saying, Lord, they do great wickedness. Just like in the Tower of Babel when they reported back to the Lord. And then and then God had to come down for himself and see all the wickedness that they were doing in the Tower of Babel. Okay? Where's another time we see this in the Bible? Job 1, when when you know Satan went before the Lord and then the good angels, and they gave a report to the Lord. Okay? So again, there's biblical precedent for what we're talking about here. Uh, now, as the keepers of the field, this is in reference to the watchers, these good angels, as the keepers of a field... Are they against her roundabout? Against who? Who's her? I believe they're in reference here to Jerusalem. Because she hath been rebellious against me, saith the Lord. Okay, Not that the city itself, it's that the people, the inhabitants of the city have been rebellious against the Lord. Okay, So then, Jeremiah, next verse, uh, 4.18, Thy way and thy doings have procured thee things unto thee. This is thy wickedness, because it is bitter, because it reacheth un- into thine heart. So again, this is a, a, just another verse where it talks about Dan. And it says, a voice declared from Dan and published affliction from Mount Ephraim. Well, it seems like Dan is going to be used as a, uh, uh, as a tool of affliction against 
the tribes of Israel. Okay. Uh, then Jeremiah twenty three fourteen. Jeremiah twenty three fourteen says, "I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem an horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen <clears throat> strengthen also the hands of evil doers, that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them at, to, unto me as Sodom." And the inhabitants thereof is Gomorrah. So here, God, and this is in the Old Testament, God is comparing Jerusalem, uh, the, the prophets of Jerusalem are a horrible thing. I think that's the same thing that's going on today. you got all these prophets going around, oh, I'm apostle this, and I'm prophet that, or I'm prophetess this. And they're publishing all these lies. And the Bible talks about in Deuteronomy 18 that the test of a prophet is, is they need to get it right 100% of the time. And if they speak presumptuously, I mean, it was a death penalty. Back then, you were to die if you were a false prophet. Okay, Today, it's no big deal. You know, you can give out prophecies all day long. Oh, brother, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And then, you try, and then a lot of times if you go and you act on them, and this is particularly within the charismatic circles a, a lot, you know, and I, I would act upon these prophecies sometimes and then find out every single one of the times that they were not accurate. Um... Uh, so many different instances in regard to that. So these are false prophets. But today it's no big deal. You know, I could just speak presumptuously in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and he'll just forgive me and I'll go on. I'm not saying he couldn't forgive you for that. But if you're doing it over and over and over and over again, which is what I see, all of these, I don't understand how these people, because I can say this because I finally got my eyes open up and did come out. And this was a big reason I did come out. I don't understand how Charismatics and Pentecostals can go to all their different various and sundry little conferences and watch, you know, Benny Hinn and uh, Kenneth Copeland and Hagen and all these, I know Hagen's dead now, but all these, and, and it's only getting worse. I mean, you, it's only getting worse. There's this Herzog guy, there's Todd Bentley, these types of people. And they go and they give out all their little false prophecies. They don't come to pass, and yet the people still stay in these movements despite the fact that they've been told lies. It's as though they just ignore, it's just they're there to get their ears tickled for the moment and tell me something I want to hear. I have itching ears. I want to heap onto me teachers because I have itching ears. Tell me what I want to hear. And then I know it's not going to come to pass or maybe it'll partly come to pass, but rarely ever does it, does it totally ever get nailed. And 50% of the time doesn't count. It should be 100% of the time if it's from the Lord, from a particular person. And then it's like as though they just go on. It's like they forget the false prophecy they just heard. And they go right on and they just continue on what they're doing. I don't understand that. And they never come out of it. And you can't tell them any different. Why? Because they're under a spell. Of whom a man is overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. If you go into these movements, if you sit under these pastors, if you go into their 501c3 institutions, there's spirits that will affect you and afflict you and blind you to the truth. I've been there, done it. I was one of the most radical Pentecostals you'd ever see. I equated that with being zealous. I was pretty much an idiot. Personally, I'm not going to say that about them. I'm saying I was. I think, looking back, it's embarrassing 
<laughs> the stuff that I was doing it into. I equated it with zeal. I was one of the most zealous, at least in my church. Well, the Lord opened my eyes. And really, I got my eyes open when I understood what the right Bible was. And I literally mean that. When I finally got a hold of the concept of the King James Bible being the Word of God, and I started reading it, my eyes started getting opened up to this stuff. And things I did not see before that I was blind to, I saw now. It's that big of a deal. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you have the wrong word of God that you're hearing, how do you build faith properly? You have to have the right word of God that you're hearing in order to build faith properly. And if you're reading a perversion or something with 64,098 less words removed from it that's produced from a publisher who's producing the Satanic Bible as well as your Bible. Well, who's that? Harper Collins? Who owns Harper Collins? Rupert Murdoch? One of the most wicked men alive, pornographer? They, the, the press calls him the Great Satan? Oh, he's also a member of, um, of uh, Rick Warren's church, Saddleback Church. Rick doesn't have a problem with them. Oh, well, Rick's a CFR member, Council of Foreign Relation. You know, that's okay, though. He's just trying to usher in the One World, New World Order church, you know, the emerging church, the contemplative church. That's okay. But anyway, HarperCollins, Rupert Murdoch owns, Harper Coll- a subsidiary of HarperCollins is Zonderfan. HarperCollins produces the Satanic Bible and all kind of gay how-to manuals. They also produce... They also own Zondervan, which produces the NIV and these types of Bibles. I wouldn't get my Bible from one of these publishers. Who knows what kind of spiritual baggage comes with it. Remember, the first thing Satan ever did to tempt Eve is question God's word. He's doing the same thing with these false Bibles, and they will affect you if you read them. They will affect your discernment. Revelation 11, 3 Okay, so in this regard, in the verse we just read in Jeremiah twenty three fourteen, he's comparing, it's so bad in Jerusalem because of the false prophets, because of the adultery, the lies, the evildoers, and that there's none that are going to return from their wickedness. They're going to do what they're going to do. And they are, as to me, as of Sodom and the inhabitants thereof is Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. It doesn't get a whole lot worse than that. That's how he's comparing Jerusalem here. Now understand, yes, we're supposed to bless Jerusalem, okay, and these types of things. I'm not saying... This isn't like this big indictment that I want to come down on Jerusalem. Okay, but I'm, I'm telling you here, there are many instances in Scripture where God is very, very angry at Jerusalem. Okay, so if we go further, I, uh, we go to Revelation 11.3. Revelation 11.3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and there shall be a prophecy... 1,203 score days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two witnesses of Revelation. Oh, here's another subject. Oh, boy. You can't believe how many people are out there saying, I am one of the two witnesses. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard this coming from both men and women. Oh, I'm one of the two witnesses. I'm one. I mean, you know, what is that? What are they going to do? Tag team two witnesses in the end times? No, there's only two. There's only two. I believe it's going to be Elijah and Enoch because they were the only ones in the Old Testament that were actually taken from the world without seeing death in the Old Testament. 
Okay? Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But that's who I believe they are. Okay? But no, no. These people say they're one of them. <laughs> Man, I tell you what. You, you got no shame in your game if you're got, walking around calling yourself one of the two witnesses. You don't have any problems in the ego department there at all. You talk about pride going before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. And most of the ones that are saying that they're one of the two witnesses are wrapped up in the whole Christian Zionism, Judaizing of Christian movement, Hebrew roots. They're usually wrapped up in that. Why? Well, because the angels told me so, or God told me so. Oh, really? So, if these supposed angels or God is telling you something that's totally unbiblical, and has no merit, and contradicts the word of God, you're going to believe them before you believe the word of God. Which is what most people do. Particularly in the Pentecostal movement, or in any movement where these people always say, well, God told me. Well, if what God told you contradicts the word of God, let me tell you something. He didn't tell it to you. Because he's not going to contradict his word. Period. He doesn't do it. Doesn't happen. He is not double-minded. Like we are. We tend to be. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. God is not like that. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. I am the Lord God. I changeth not. So again, I just wanted to throw that in. Because boy, have I had a lot of earfuls of that. I'm one of the two witnesses. (sighs) Okay, so... Verse 11, 14, And these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must have, he must in this manner be killed. Oh man. Could you imagine like being in the tribulation, actually being able to go over there and meet the two witnesses? Woo! Man, that thought just fires me up. Now granted, you know, I'm... That's, that's, I mean, it's also a little fear and trembling thing there, but man, that would be awesome to actually go meet the two witnesses. I mean, whoa, whoo. Anyway, uh, that gets me fired up just thinking about it. But, and then it says, these have power to shut heaven. Not to say that I would worship them or anything. I'm just saying, you know, it'd be pretty much a faith builder, I think, <laughs> meeting these guys. Uh, praise the Lord. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Where's that? Jerusalem? Sorry, but that's what the Bible says about Jerusalem, particularly during the end times. Okay, it's spiritually called Sodom in Egypt. Again, this is not a knock against the Jews and Jerusalem. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, okay? So if this makes you angry, your your argument's really with the Lord. Okay? And it's not going to always be that way. The Lord's going to come back and He's going to make things right and there's going to be a third of the remnant that get their eyes opened. God's going to defend them at the Battle of Armageddon, these types of things. So it's not like it's going to stay that way. But blindness in part has happened to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. They came back into the promised land in unbelief. It's like the body without 
breath. It talks about the, the valley of the dry bones, this type of thing. So, just let's have biblical balance here when, when looking at the subject. Um, Daniel 4.17 says, This matter is by decree of the watchers, and the demand by thy word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and give it, giveth it to whomsoever he will. He setteth up over it the basest of men. Now, this is just proof. We got this devil going into office right now, Obama. And it says that, you know, this is what's hard to get our heads around. It's hard for me at times, because it's like, oh, Lord. But, the Lord setteth up one and taketh down another. You know, that's his doing. And a lot of times, well, let me, let me just say this, this last part again. Um the intent of the living may know that the, that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, that giveth it to whomsoever he willeth, and setteth up over it the basest of men. Basest meaning, like, the most uh, vile men. He can do that if God wants. But if God sets up a vile man over a nation, it's not because the nation's been obedient to God. It's because they've been disobedient, and they're getting what's coming to them. Just like we're going to get what's coming to us in America. That's that's the deal. That's why he would do it. Okay, he's not doing it because we've been obedient, so wonderful and righteous. All of the big mega churches, Smiley Joel, you know, Osteen and Benny Hinn and, and all these guys, John Hay, we're doing such a great job for the Lord, he's gonna let Obama come into office or Bush, you name it. And he's gonna set up the basest of men over us. We've asked for it. We've asked for it. By our actions, by our disobedience, by our rebellion, we've asked God to do this to us. Because he will always judge wickedness. He will use wicked people to judge us. Just like we're talking about here, he's going to use the tribe of Dan to judge the wickedness of Israel. Which is spiritually Sodom and Egypt, as even the Bible says in Revelation. I mean, are they serving the Lord right now? No. They haven't had their eyes open yet. And two-thirds of them are going to die before that even happens. According to Zechariah, and we got into that in the part uh, 1 and 2. Daniel 4.13 I saw in visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. So see, watchers aren't evil things. Watchers are holy angels that come down to watch the affairs of men. Unfortunately, everything that we're doing is essentially being recorded. I really believe that. The you know the Bible talks about you know you give an account for every word. Now I also believe that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to put cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. Okay, repentance being the prerequisite there. Okay, so. Again, let's have biblical balance there too. Uh, Daniel 4.23 And whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one come down from heaven. Okay, so again, this is how we can define words in the body. By comparing scripture with scripture. And many times, if we're not aware of what one word means, we need to look at if there's any other words in close proximity so we can define that word. In this regard, we have the word watcher 
and an holy one coming down from heaven in two different verses, in Daniel 4.13 and in Daniel 4.23. Um, so we know that they're, that they're in conjunction with a good thing, and also in Daniel 4.17. So we got three witnesses there. The watchers are good, holy angels that come down to watch the affairs of men. Okay. And um, let's go further. It says... Well, let's see here. Uh, I'm getting near the end of part one here. So let's go ahead and let's go to part two because I'm going to change gears a little bit here. And we'll go to part two next.